Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Villages Church in Wildwood, Florida. We are a multi-generational community of grace on mission, and you are always invited to join us online or in person. Learn more about us at sevenriversvillages.org. So uh, Kelly and I, one of the things that we've done, uh, I guess over the last 10 years or so, uh, is uh, foster care. And we've been uh, foster parents um, and had a number of different kids into our house uh, over, uh, over the years. And it's one of those things where there's things about it that are, uh, that are really hard, but also things that have been really good uh, for us and for, uh, and for our family. But it's interesting as you kind of see uh, families up close and families, you know, in particular that are in crisis uh, up close, uh, you, um, uh, you begin, at least we have seen uh, the damage that, uh, that is done when, um, uh, when there's a failure of leadership in the family, you know, when, uh, when there's neglect, when there's abuse, when there's these types of things, uh, you see that everyone in the family uh, pays a price, right? And, um, uh, and everyone is, uh, is, is hurt by it. Now, um, uh, we have heard a lot of really encouraging stories over the years of ways that God has been at work through people's uh, lives who have you know, been in the foster care system and, uh, and, and yet um, you know, God has done things in their, uh, in their life that are really, uh, that are really good and, and given them you know, great opportunities. Uh, but there's also... Uh, there's also a lot of really, uh, a really, a lot of really hard stories and a lot of really uh, difficult ones. Um, there's a lot of sobering statistics uh, when it comes, in particular, to kids who uh, age out of the foster care uh, system, which basically means they get to 18 and they haven't gone back uh, with their biological families, they haven't been adopted, uh, and so the, they're sort of just kind of out on, uh, out on their, on, on their own. And one of the, um, one of the things uh, that's uh, uh, that's interesting in particular, um, and really, you know, sad in a lot of ways, is the number of people who um, who've grown up in foster care, uh, age out of the foster care system, and then uh, and then have kids of their own, and those kids end up in the in the foster care system uh, af- afterward. You know, the uh, um, the percentage is uh, is really high, and so you see how this this cycle of sort of um, d- dysfunction and and hurt uh, perpetuates itself. And, um, uh, you know, kind of again and again. And this morning, as we look at, uh, at chapter 4 of 1 Samuel, uh, we see uh, a, a breakdown in God's family that is uh, perpetuating itself um, uh, in this uh, cycle of, uh, of destruction and disaster for, uh, for his people. Uh, the, the leaders have, uh, have failed them, and uh, uh, the priests and the people are, are far from God as, uh, as a result. Now, this isn't an isolated incident in, uh, in the Bible. Uh, in fact, it's interesting, you know, one of the things that we'll see in this chapter and the next couple of chapters over the next few weeks uh, is the ark, right? This, uh, this ark takes sort of center stage in, uh, in some of the, um, in, in the story. And, uh, and, if we, and if you go back to, to earlier in the Bible, in the book of Numbers, there's, there's this account where uh, the Israelites have been freed from, uh, from Egypt and from slavery. Moses and Aaron are their leaders. But there's this whole other, uh, there's this group of people that rise up and they want to sort of challenge uh, Moses and Aaron's leadership. And they kind of say, you know, Moses and Aaron have, are, are leading us wrong. Uh, they're not doing a good job. Um, we're the ones that should be leaders instead. 
And, uh, and so there's sort of this standoff between, uh, between the two groups, and, uh, and they ask God to show them, you know, who is it that he's, that he's really chosen to, uh, to lead them and to lead them well. And, uh, and the way that God uh, shows them, the way that he sort of, sort of answers them, is uh, Aaron's staff, kind of his walking staff that he has, uh, it, it buds these, uh, these flowers, these white, these white flowers uh, bud on it, and it's sort of the sign, the symbol, that these are the leaders that God has chosen, Moses and Aaron, and these other guys are, uh, are not. Well, the Bible tells us that in the ark, all right, is where the staff has been put. All right, and so, uh, and so we have this, you know, this symbol of, uh, of, of leadership and of God's chosen people um, in, uh, in this ark that sort of carries through the, through the story here. Now, we could jump ahead from this story also and go uh, to the book of Jeremiah, right, which is hundreds of years later. God's people are in a similar place where they're, where they're uh, moving far from God. They are... Uh, uh, they're, not, uh, they're not close to God and following God. And Jeremiah, um, you know, gives sort of a warning to the people. And he says, if you don't turn your hearts uh, towards God, uh, we're going to experience judgment. And he points back to this battle, this day that we're talking about here in 1 Samuel. And he says, we're going to experience the same things that they experienced uh, in, um, in this battle at the city of Shiloh that we're talking about. And, and so the, the passage that we're looking at here. Uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 4, sort of stands in the middle of this Old Testament story of, of God's people and, uh, and of the account of what God is doing uh, through, um, through his people and, uh, and, um, and, and ultimately his, uh, his family here. Uh, and, so, uh, and, and so I'm going to read uh, 1 Samuel chapter 4, and then, we'll, uh, and then we'll jump into looking at uh, some of the things that we can take away from it as we, uh, as we look at it. So if you are willing and able, uh, would you stand for the reading of God's word? 1 Samuel uh, chapter 4. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer. And the Philistines encamped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up in line against Israel. And when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. And when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us, and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people went to Shiloh and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who was enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout, so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, What does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid, for they said, A God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews, as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought. And Israel was defeated, and they fled every man to his home. And there was a very great slaughter, for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. And the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. A man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day. 
with his clothes torn and with dirt on his head. When he arrived, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road, watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, What is this uproar? Then the man hurried and came and told Eli. Now Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were set so that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, How did it go, my son? He who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has also been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For the man was old and heavy. He had judged Israel forty years. Now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant, about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women attending her said to her, Do not be afraid, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer or pay attention, and she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of God had been captured, because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. This is the word of the Lord. Um, Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this uh, moment that you give us to to see your word, to understand it. We pray your spirit would be at work in us, uh, that we would ultimately uh, know Jesus better as a result. Uh, Thank you that you speak to us. Uh, Help us to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So the first, uh, the first point that we're going to look at this morning is, uh, is the hole in our leadership, right? The, uh, and we can, we can definitely see that in the leadership that Israel has here in, uh, uh, in, this, in this time. Uh, some of the challenge of a passage like this is that it's a lot of bad news, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of one thing after the other uh, after the other. And so, uh, and so it seems like, uh, like God is losing, right? Where... If, if you are a people who claim that your God is all-knowing and all-powerful, right, it seems like he shouldn't lose battles, right? Uh, it, it seems like he should be able, uh, be able to win. Um, you know, it reminded me, uh, when I was a kid, there, was, uh, there were these commercials that were on TV all the time for this, uh, this phone number that you could call, uh, and it was this psychic, right, uh, Miss Cleo. And, uh, and you, could, you could call, you could pay some money, right, and, she would, uh, and she would tell you your future, right, uh, for, you know, five ninety nine or whatever it was uh, when, you, uh, when you called. Uh, and, uh, but uh, after a little while, she went out of business, right, she, um, uh, and she went bankrupt. And the joke was always, you know, if she really could tell the future, shouldn't she have been able to see that, you know, uh, bankruptcy was coming and done something about it? Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, there's sort of a sense here of the same thing. If God is so powerful— Right? If, uh, if God is so, um, uh, so mighty and so good and all these things, how shouldn't he be able to, um, to defeat the Philistines? Shouldn't he not lose a battle um, twice, uh, twice in a row? And, uh, and so these are the kinds of questions that the Israelites were, uh, were, were asking that in that moment, and that it's helpful for us to, uh, to ask also. Right? Um, does this account do damage to God's reputation? 
right? Or is there something in particular that God is doing here in the way that he's working uh, that, uh, that helps us to learn more about him uh, and even to learn more about ourselves? Uh, so let's, um, uh, uh, let's go through the story again really quickly just to make sure we understand what's going on and then talk a little bit about what we can, uh, what we can learn from it. Uh, so, um, so the Philistines, they, um, at that time, they were a pretty advanced uh, civilization. Uh, they've established some cities in, uh, in this area where the Israelites are, uh, and they want to expand their territory, right, and, uh, and defeat their enemies. And so, uh, and, and so they march against, uh, against Israel. And, uh, and, they, uh, and they line up, right, the two sides kind of line up on the battlefield. Uh, they, um, uh, they, they go at it. And, uh, and Israel uh, loses, right? What does it say? About 4,000 uh, men are lost in, uh, in the battle. So the Israelites regroup, right? And look at what it says in, uh, in, verse, uh, in verse 3 here. Uh, it says, And when the people came to the camp, uh, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before uh, the Philistines? It, we'll, we'll talk about this more as we go, but isn't it interesting that they, even the Israelites, don't see it as God has lost this battle, right? They see it as God has done something here uh, to, uh, to cause the Israelites to, to lose. They, they recognize uh, that the Philistines don't have power over God. Something has happened here. Something is going on that God has allowed uh, this, to, uh, this to happen to them. And it seems like they're asking a good question, right? They're saying, um, uh, you know, God, why did you let this happen? What should we, uh, what should we do? Uh, but notice, do they wait for an answer from God? No, right? Basically, in the same breath that they're saying, uh, God, what should we do? They decide what they're going to do, right? They, um, uh, they, don't, they don't really seek God for what, for, for what they should do next. They're not really looking to him. They are really uh, just sort of, feeling sorry for themselves and deciding, you know, this is what we want to do, uh, and, so, um, uh, and so we're going to, uh, we're going to do it. And, and so this is one of the, one of the first failures of leadership uh, we, we see with Israel's, with Israel's leaders, right? Is that, uh, is that instead of looking for, uh, for wisdom from God, right, they are, uh, they're just trying to, um, to do it on their own, right? They're following their own wisdom, what seems best, uh, to uh, uh, to them, and uh, and so uh, and so they're trying to fix the situation, uh, but um, uh, but what they're missing is the idea that God wants them to be seeking them in uh, seeking Him in the process. Right? They're they're looking for wisdom, for truth, and all the wrong uh, in all the wrong places. Uh, but there's but there's more than that, right? So they decide uh, we're going to get the ark and we're going to take the ark into uh, into battle with us. Now we're going to talk uh, a lot more about the ark uh, next week um, because, like I said, it's kind of in these next couple of uh, chapters, and so we'll we'll talk in more detail about it next week. Uh, and I'm going to try and put a video in the weekly email this week about kind of the ark and uh, to get give you a little bit of a better idea of um, of what it was. Also, in general, the ark represented the presence of God. Uh, with, uh, with his people in that, in that time, right? So if you've seen Indiana Jones, right, um, then you know everything you need to know about the Ark of the Covenant, right? Um, uh, well, they might have gotten a few things wrong, and then so uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk about that a little bit next week. But, um, uh, but this is the same Ark that, uh, that Indiana Jones is chasing. Uh, and so, so the, the Israelites get the Ark, right? It's this, it's this rectangle box. They carry it with poles, and they take it into, uh, into battle with them. 
Uh, and, uh, and look at verse 4. Uh, who does it say is leading uh, the battle? Right? It says, Hophni and Phinehas uh, were there with the ark. Right? So they have the ark, and they're leading uh, the people into, uh, into battle. Uh, now, um, uh, I don't know if you remember, a few weeks ago, uh, Stephen talked about Hophni and Phinehas in, uh, in more detail when we talked about, when we talked about chapter 2. Right? Were they good guys or bad guys? Yeah, they were terrible. Right? They, were, they were terrible priests. Uh, terrible uh, leaders. Um, they were uh, taking advantage of the people. They were using their position essentially to get rich, to get fat, um, to, uh, uh, to live the good life on the backs of the people that they were supposed to be uh, serving and that they were supposed to be uh, caring, uh, caring for. Uh, and so, you know, in a sense, they were supposed to be representing God to the people as well. Uh, but instead, uh, they are, uh, they're, you know, they're just taking advantage of them. And this is who is leading uh, the Israelites into, uh, into battle. So Israel's leaders, um, they're failing to look to God for wisdom. They're failing to, uh, to, to live out lives that, uh, that, glorify, uh, that glorify God. Uh, and, uh, and this lack of submission to God, this lack of character, uh, is ultimately what dooms God's people. It's what dooms Israel. Right, God's using these leaders as a, uh, as a cautionary tale for us, uh, that leadership matters, right? This is true of everywhere. Uh, it's, um, it, it's definitely true in, uh, in, God's, uh, in, in God's family and in God's church, right? We see, we see examples of the impact of leadership all around us. Uh, I just rewatched uh, Band of Brothers not too long ago, um, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, it's talking about the 101st Airborne um, and, uh, you know, from kind of Normandy to the end of World War II. And, uh, and, and one of the themes through, uh, through, that, um, uh, through that account of, of what they did is leadership, right? Uh, you see Dick Winter, you see other people who in the, uh, in, in the midst of uh, incredible uh, sort of chaos and difficulty, right, these, uh, these guys... Um, step up and, uh, and lead, right? They lead in a way that their men can't help but follow them, right? Can't help but love to, uh, uh, to, be, um, to be under them. They lead in a way that lives are saved, that really, uh, that really difficult um, things are, uh, are accomplished uh, along the way. Um, this, is the, this is the power of, of, good, uh, of good leadership. And it is the same in the church, right? Leadership uh, matters, I'm so thankful for, for people that I think back on in, uh, in my life. Uh, Dale Goodman and Chuck Ryer and Ray Cortez and Bob McAndrew, right? People that, um, that led their churches well and helped me know God better as a, as a result. Uh, they were pastors that have had huge impact in my life, changing, changing who I am, changing the direction of my life uh, because of the way they, uh, they led in the church uh, and because of the way they cared for uh, for me in particular. Um, and, uh, and, and their faithfulness in ministry is something that, uh, that I can see throughout the whole of their ministry, throughout the whole of their lives, the way that they continued uh, to, uh, to love and serve God and serve the church and, uh, and, and his people. You know, um, I'm sure they've made mistakes along the way, um, but, uh, but God has used them uh, in, uh, in my life in particular and I know in, in lots of others. But this isn't always the case, right? Uh, just in my own life, I can think of other pastors, right, that I, uh, that I respected who walked away from their faith or uh, compromised the truth of the Bible uh, or had huge moral failings uh, or used their, uh, used their position to take advantage of, uh, of people under them. 
you know, I can think of one guy in particular who I would have considered a close, uh, a close friend. Um, and uh, it came out that he had used his uh, position in ministry to take advantage of and abuse uh, women over, over the course of a number of years. And, uh, and in the aftermath of him being exposed, it, um, it, it causes you to ask a lot of questions, right? To, to say, um, how, uh, how could this happen, right? How could somebody uh, do this? How could somebody fool people uh, for such a long uh, period of time? Um, maybe even why would God allow this to happen? And unfortunately, it's not an isolated case. Right? There have been many examples of church leaders using their position to make themselves uh, rich, to hold power over people, uh, to take advantage of people under their, uh, under their care. Now, on the one hand, it can, it can help us to understand uh, that these things happen because we live in a world that is broken by sin, right? And we are surrounded uh, by, and we are, people who are, uh, uh, who are broken by sin as well. And so people do these things uh, uh, because um, be- because of uh, the brokenness of uh, of our world, right? The sinfulness uh, of our world. God doesn't cause these things uh, to happen. Uh, people do, right? So um, it's something for us to grieve. It's something for us to work uh, against uh, and to uh, and to stop because it's something that God grieves. But on the other hand, God does allow these things uh, to happen. Uh, and I and, and I don't know why, honestly. You know, I mean, when we think about what happens in even in this uh, even in this battle, right, that thousands of people uh, are are going to die, just like uh, just like that, right? Um, the things that happen uh, around us in the church that we say, you know, God, why would you allow these things to happen? Now, even though I don't understand why, it doesn't mean uh, that um, that God doesn't know why, right? Um, uh, things uh, in my limited knowledge, I could not understand something, and God could still see how all that's going on, the good, the bad, and the ugly, uh, are a part of uh, the, um, the, the good purposes and plans he has uh, for, uh, for, for this world and for, uh, and for his people. Um, but it still makes it hard, right? It still makes it hard to understand. Uh, but I think, this, I think this passage here in uh, 1 Samuel helps us to understand maybe a little bit of what God is doing and why in, uh, in these situations. Uh, you know, we see how the people have been hurt by bad, uh, by bad leadership. But we also see that God punishes uh, the wrong that's been done, right? Uh, he told us a few chapters ago that he's going to punish Eli and his family. And he keeps his, he keeps his promise, right? He sees um, with the damage that's being done to his people, right? The people that he loves. And, uh, and he does what it takes uh, to, um, to free them from um, and to save them from this uh, uh, this damage, right? To, uh, uh, to take away the people um, that are causing his people to turn from him. And so, um, and, and so in some ways, you know, if you were an Israelite at that time, uh, there's, a, there's a way in which what God does here and God's judgment in this moment is a gift, right? Because, um, because of what has been happening, because of the way that his people have been turning from him, right? Um, God is, uh, is making a path. He's, he's uh, making a way for, uh, for things to change, right? For things to be different in the future for, uh, for his, his people. You know, uh, think about it this way, right? If someone was uh, doing something to hurt uh, one of my kids, right? And I did nothing, right? That would be, uh, that'd be cruel, right? Um, uh, the loving and the good thing for me to do in that moment is whatever it takes to stop the person 
uh, who's hurting uh, who's hurting my kid, right? And so and so this is the position God uh, is in in this moment to say, um, uh, my people are being hurt, damage is being done, and I need to do whatever it takes uh, to um, uh, to change this situation to uh, to to rescue them. Uh, and uh, and so God's judgment may seem harsh here, but ultimately it's a picture of Him doing the good and uh, and the loving uh, thing for for his people. And I think the severity of his judgment, I think it accomplishes maybe a couple of things here. One, his judgment is justice, right? He's, uh, he, he's putting uh, right things that have gone wrong. Uh, and, uh, and so he is trying to take uh, what, has, um, what has gone off the rails and, uh, and he's trying to make it, uh, trying to make it right again. Uh, it's also a wake-up call for his people, right? Um, his, one, of his, one of his goals, I think, here. Uh, is, uh, is, is to shake them a little bit, right? To wake them up and to say, look at what you're doing. Look at where you're heading. Look how far you are from me. Um, uh, turn, turn back to me, right? I, I, I want you as my people. I, I, I love you. I want you to be near uh, to me, and you, um, uh, and, and you keep heading off in, uh, in, the opposite, in the opposite direction. And so the severity of his judgment is a way to wake them up uh, and, uh, and, to, uh, and to shake them loose from... Uh, from the patterns that they've fallen into. Uh, and, then, uh, uh, and then I think also it's, it, it's to clear the way for better leaders, right? Um, what God is doing in this moment as he, uh, as he, as he takes uh, the, uh, um, the leaders uh, out that are, in, uh, that are in control, right? He's, he's paving the way uh, for, something, for something better. We already talked uh, in the last few weeks about Samuel, Right? Samuel has been chosen to be God's next prophet. And, and after we get through these few chapters, then we'll, we'll turn back to Samuel uh, and see the ways that God uses him uh, for the benefit of, uh, of his people. Uh, hopefully a better prophet uh, 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 is, um, uh, you know, Samuel will be than some of the other ones in the, in the past. And now after the death of Eli and Phinehas uh, and Hophni, uh, hopefully a, a better priest will come in. Right to, um, uh, to 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 lead them and to help them uh, worship uh, worship God, uh, and then as a result of all of this, it's going to lead to a king. Right, we uh, will we'll talk a lot about in this book uh, uh, kingship. Right, um, uh, one king that's not great, <laughs> and then another king that uh, that's that's a really uh, that's a really good king. So God's judgment and justice is a gift to His people because He's making a way for a better prophet, a better priest, uh, and a better king. And, uh, and, this is, uh, and this is the gift that he gives them. Uh, but like the whole story of the Bible, uh, even here, God is paving the way for an even better prophet and priest and king. Right? He's paving the way for Jesus. Because even Samuel and Saul and David and the other people that we'll talk about in the book of Samuel, even though they're able to do some good things, uh, they're still going to fall far short. In, uh, in other areas. And we're going to be reminded again and again and again, even as new prophets and new priests and new kings uh, come, uh, there's one that's better that God is pointing us to. Um, I think I might have read from the Jesus Storybook Bible last time, but we're going to do it again because it's, uh, it's awesome. We won't read from it every week. But, um, uh, but, uh, but here in the beginning of uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible, he's, uh, um, she's describing uh, what, the, what the Bible's about, right? Uh, and I think, it's, uh, I think it's helpful for us. It says, now, some people think the Bible is a book of rules telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes showing you people you should copy. 
The Bible does have some heroes in it, but as you'll soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away. At times, they're downright mean. Now, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything, to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that's come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There's lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. And so we can see even in 1 Samuel 4, right, it's a part of this story, right? It's a part of this uh, of this story that God is, uh, is telling uh, of his people who fall away and of a God who loves to rescue uh, those, uh, those people who are running away from him. So why is it that even the best people in the Bible aren't good enough? Right? What is it about us that requires rescue in the first place? I think we get a glimpse of it in, uh, in the passage. Not just when it's at the root of failed leadership, uh, but what's at the heart of sin and brokenness uh, in each of us? And so this is what we're going to talk about in our, uh, in our second point uh, briefly. Um, we looked at uh, the whole in our leadership and the failure of Israel's leaders and the failures of leaders in our day. But now we're going to look briefly at what's wrong, um, not just with leaders, uh, but with us, right? Um, there's an interesting line. If you look at verse, uh, verse 3 again, uh, look in the middle of verse 3. And it's easy to miss this, but I think it tells us, uh, it tells us a lot. In the, in the middle of verse 3, it says, Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. Good, good job, Trish. Good job. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, uh, right? Do you notice? What, are they, um, uh, what is it they believe is going to save them in the battle, right? It, the ark, right? It's almost like a, a lucky charm or something that they're, uh, that, they're, that they're thinking, well, if we just bring this box into the battle, um, then things are going to be okay, right? But remember, what's the whole point of the ark, right? The whole point of the ark is to point to, um, to God, right? It's to point them to his power and his presence uh, in, uh, in their lives. And so, um, uh, and so even in, uh, in this, uh, they're, uh, they're missing the point, right? The power isn't in uh, this rectangular box, right? But it's in the God who this box uh, points them to. They're trying to use the ark as a tool to get what they want instead of as a means to get what they need most, right? Which is actually God uh, himself. And this is the danger for all of us, right? To, to look to God for what he can give us uh, instead of pursuing God because we have the opportunity uh, to know and to love and serve uh, the God of the universe, the God who loves us, the God who gave himself for us. Now, we understand this when it comes to like, parents and kids, right? I remember when I was a kid, right, if I wanted something for my parents, and it was like a, a, a big thing, you know, I wanted money or I wanted to um, you know, sleep over at somebody's house, um, I wouldn't just go straight in for the ask, right? You gotta, you, know, you, you gotta kind of prime the pump a little bit, right? So, uh, so you think about what are compliments I can give my parents, right? And it's like, um, you know, man, you guys are the best parents ever, and you know, and I love you, and all, you know, all this. Uh, and then I kind of ease into the, so can I have fifty dollars, right? Or you know, or whatever, um, whatever it might be um, that um, that I'm looking for, right? Um, 
in that moment, I am not pursuing a relationship with my parents, right? I didn't just um, feel like I needed to let them know what great parents they were, right, and, um, uh, and how much I love them. It's not about them at all, right? That conversation is about me. And, uh, uh, and, this, is what's, um, and this is what's happening here with the Israelites, and it's what, what, can, what can happen to all of us. Right, is, that we, uh, is that we begin to look to God not so that we can build a relationship with him, but simply because there's things that we need and we think uh, that, he can, uh, that he can give them to us. Right? We all have a tendency towards this, uh, seeing a relationship with God more like karma or more transactional than it is a, a friendship. Now we say, okay, God, I, I read my Bible this morning, right? so now I really need to pass this test this afternoon, right? Um, uh, or we say, God, I've, um, uh, I've, been, I've done some really good things uh, lately. Um, how could you let me get sick? Right? Or how could my, my marriage be, be struggling so much? Look at the things that I've done. Look at, how, um, look at how good I've been. Even look at how I've been following you. And, and we fall into this, into this trap of um, looking at God simply for what he can give uh, instead of um, uh, for pursuing him for, for who he is. Uh, himself. Now, now, it's a little bit tricky, right? Because it's not that we can't ask God for things, right? I mean, all, all through the Bible, uh, he tells us to, to, to cast our cares on him, to, uh, to, to ask him to, uh, to provide for us, to pray for other people. So, so it's not about um, just you can't ever ask for anything when you, when you pray. But he also wants more than that, right? He, uh, he wants you. He wants your affections. He wants, uh, he wants your whole uh, life. And this is what we're made for, right? We're made to know him and to belong to him uh, and, to, uh, and to be with him. And this is the good news of the gospel, right? That Jesus lived and died so that that could actually be possible, right? That in the midst of our sin, in the midst of the things that we have done wrong to separate ourselves from God, God has made a way uh, for us uh, to, be re, uh, to be reconnected with him. And so this is what we're going to talk about in our last point. Uh, the, we're going to talk about the cross and the power Jesus has to transform uh, our, our, our broken hearts. Now, we're going to look at the humility of, uh, of the cross. Uh, William, uh, William Borden, was, uh, he was a Yale graduate. Uh, he came uh, from a lot of wealth, you know, Borden, like milk and dairy. So he, uh, he came from, uh, from that family. He, uh, he, he inherited this vast fortune, uh, and even as a young man, he, um, he decided he wanted to give it all away for, uh, for the sake of, uh, of Jesus. And so he gave away vast amounts of his, uh, of his fortune to missions. Uh, and eventually, um, with going with basically nothing, he decided he himself was going to go onto the mission field. Uh, he wanted to bring the gospel to Muslims uh, in Egypt. And so, uh, and so he sort of left everything here, uh, and, he went, uh, and he went there. But within a matter of months, I think it was four months after he got there, and began his ministry, uh, he contracted spinal meningitis uh, and died just a few months after he'd, uh, after he'd been there at the age of 25. Uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting, uh, interesting story. Uh, and his epitaph, right, his tombstone is in this sort of hard-to-find place in the Middle East, uh, but his tombstone describes sort of his love and sacrifice uh, for, uh, for the kingdom of God and for, uh, and for Muslim people. Uh, and it ends with this line. It says, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Apart from faith in Christ, there's no explanation for such a life. So what explains lives of sacrifice? 
right? Lives of humility like, um, like William Borden. I think we get a glimpse of it here at the end of chapter four, and we get a fuller picture of it in, uh, in Jesus, who, like we've said, this chapter ultimately points to. This chapter has kind of a weird ending, right? Um, Phineas, uh, who died in battle, he has, uh, he has a wife who's pregnant, and when she hears all the things that have gone, gone wrong, um, she, uh, she goes into labor, uh, uh, in which she, uh, she dies in, in labor, um, but listen to, uh, to what she says um, kind of at the end of the chapter as, um, as she's having her, her, her son uh, in verse 21. It says, and she named the child Ichabod, saying, the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God had been captured because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. So this seems about as hopeless an ending uh, as you could have, right? The city where, um, where the Israelites worship Shiloh has been destroyed. Uh, the priests have been killed and their armies have been defeated. Uh, the, the ark, the presence of God with his people, has been taken captive and taken to a, to a foreign enemy land. Uh, and, uh, and this woman sums it up by saying that God has left them, right? Uh, she can't see any hope uh, for the future in the, in the middle of this situation. And you can understand why. You can understand why she would, why she would feel this way. But the Bible shows us over and over again uh, that when his people are weakest, right, and when the situation seems most hopeless— uh, that's actually when he's most likely uh, to show up. Think about what God does, even out of this low moment in Israeli history, right? We've talked a few about a few of these things already, but uh, he shows that he keeps uh, his word, right? He, he said that Hophni and Phinehas would die on the same day in battle, uh, and, he keeps his, and he keeps his promises, right, to, uh, to remove uh, these evil leaders. Uh, he, uh, he moves the center of worship uh, to Jerusalem, right? This holy city that becomes the center of, of Israelite um, worship and of the Israelite people. Uh, he turns his people's hearts back towards himself, at least for a little bit, uh, right? He, um, uh, he, he does in this moment. And then uh, this moment leads us uh, to Saul as king and then to David as king, which ultimately leads to the coming of Jesus, who's from the family of David. So it feels like God's been defeated, right? It feels like his plan has been ruined. But we get the benefit of seeing it's actually just another step in his sovereign plan in the good plan that he has worked out for, uh, for his people and for what uh, he's trying to accomplish uh, and do in the world. And this should be incredibly encouraging to us uh, as, uh, as God's people. Right? He works through weak people, right? which means he works through me, right? and, uh, and he works through uh, you. He works through seemingly hopeless situations, which means he's at work right now through all of the situations that you're, that you're facing. No matter what those things are, no matter what's going on, He's at work even in, uh, in that. Jesus is what gives us hope that all these things are true. Right? He's ultimately who can re- redeem bad leadership. He's ultimately who restores uh, our broken hearts. Uh, it's interesting, Jesus' death uh, on behalf of us came at the hands of terrible leaders. Right? The Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day, they wanted power for themselves. And they saw Jesus as a threat to that power. Right? So they had him arrested, they had him tortured, and ultimately uh, killed uh, to hold on to their, to their power. Right? Um, Pilate, Pilate, who um, sent Jesus to the cross, he just wanted people to like him. Right? He wanted to be a leader that people loved. And so even though he knew it was the wrong thing to do, uh, he, uh, he condemned Jesus and, and sent 
uh, Jesus to the cross, right? The only uh, truly innocent person ever. And, uh, uh, and, and, and Pilate um, chose being popular over, uh, over doing what was right. And so in the, in, in the midst of these powerful leaders exerting their power in, uh, in, in terrible ways, what does Jesus do? He sets aside his power. Right? He had the power to do whatever he wanted in that moment. He could have stopped all that was going on. He could have done what, whatever, um, whatever he wanted in that moment. And yet he set aside his power. He chooses instead to suffer and to die in weakness so his people could experience resurrection power uh, in their lives. Think about the biblical picture of salvation. A savior who humbles himself to a cross and who sacrifices himself for his people. Our faith isn't in how strong we are or what we've accomplished, but in our Savior, Jesus, and what he's accomplished in our place. Martin Luther uh, developed this uh, concept of the theology of the cross. Okay? And, and basically, what it says is that because God's power for salvation came through weakness and uh, uh, humility and sacrifice and suffering on a cross— his people experience God's power through their own weakness and humility, right? And so this means that, means that the guiding principles for those who belong to Jesus, whether it's for leadership or for parenting or for the workplace or for day-to-day life, uh, where, wherever you may be, the guiding principles are things like humility and love and servanthood and dying to yourself for the sake of others, uh, suffering and mercy and truth. Being connected to Jesus is what actually produces these kinds of things in us. And it's through a a life marked by these things that shows God's power uh, through us. What does Paul say in Corinthians? He says, his power, God's power, is made perfect through our weaknesses. That's where he is most displayed in all of his glory and goodness and power, is in our weakness, is in our failings, uh, is um, is in our um, lowest moment. Paul Tripp says this. He says, success in God's work is a combination of weakness, willingness, and a robust faith in the power, presence, and promises of God, right? So, so success in God's work, success in, uh, for God's people uh, in God's, uh, on God's mission is a combination of their weakness, right? Their willingness to be used by God, and then their faith in God in his power, in his promises, uh, in his presence in their lives. And this is what we hope for for ourselves, right? This is what we look for in those who lead. Uh, maybe think about this as an example. Sooner or later, our church is going to move from a, uh, from a church plant to, uh, uh, to a, an, an established church. Our, our denomination calls it a particularized church, right? And so one of the things that we'll do as a part of that, and one of the things that will be a job for people as members, is to elect elders, right? And so, uh, and so, we, uh, and so we'll have elders uh, for our church, and, um, and you will be a part of that process of nominating them and, uh, and, and electing them uh, for, uh, uh, for our church. And so it's going to be important for us to remember that what makes a good elder right, is not that they were a successful business person. Right? or that they have a dynamic personality. Now, maybe some of those things could be true of them, but what we want most are those who are willing to humbly submit to Jesus, to each other, so that he can lead them. Right? Not people that just want to lead by force of personality, 
people that want to be led by Jesus. And I'll say this, this is something I'm thankful for uh, with, uh, with Stephen as well. You know, one of the reasons we decided to come here and to, and to move here and to work here is uh, getting to know Stephen, his humility and his character and the way that, and the way that he leads. Uh, and so I'm, I'm really uh, thankful for, uh, uh, for that. You know, not, not every pastor has that. And so, um, uh, and, uh, and so I, really, uh, I really love that and appreciate that about, uh, about him. Now, remember again, our, our, our takeaway here as we, as we wrap up, right? It shouldn't be, I need to be more humble. I need to be more sacrificial, forgiving, whatever it might be. In a way, that's like saying, I just want the ark, right? Our takeaway is that Jesus is the better prophet, priest, and king. He's who we need. He's who we want more of. And in experiencing more of his presence in our lives, the more, of it, the more we have of Jesus in our lives, the more he'll shape us into the people that he longs for us uh, to be. The more we'll begin to look more and more like Jesus. Uh, Maria Fearing she was a, a slave that experienced emancipation uh, at the end of the Civil War. Uh, she was a Christian. She, she'd always wanted to be a missionary, but she thought that would never be something that could be a possibility uh, for, someone, uh, for someone like her, uh, until she did. And she got the opportunity later in her life to go to, uh, to the Congo in Africa as a, uh, as a missionary. Uh, and while she was there, she ministered to people. Uh, she helped people to know Jesus better. Uh, but as she was there, the, uh, the Congo was... Um, uh, it was a, a colony of, uh, of a European country, and the king that was over them uh, was not a good king. And so what she saw as she got there is that um, uh, they, uh, the people in charge were taking uh, uh, kids, boys and girls, and, uh, and taking them into slavery, right? And they were either selling them into, uh, into slavery or using them as, uh, as slaves all around her. Um, so what did she do? Right? She began to do whatever she could uh, to rescue these kids. Right? She, um, uh, she sold things she had. She traded things. She made money however she could so that she could, um, so that she could buy these kids out of slavery and then, uh, and then raise them in her, in her home, uh, uh, prepare them to, be, uh, uh, you know, to grow up and to be, and to be adults. Um, and, uh, and so, and, and so her, 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 her mission um, be, uh, became, part of her mission became to, uh, uh, to, to be rescuing these kids out of slavery. Right? Now, where would she get an idea like that? Right? <laughs> where would she get a desire and a passion uh, for, uh, for rescuing uh, kids out of slavery? Right? She'd experienced it herself. Right? She knew what it was like uh, to be a slave and to be, and to be freed. Right? She had experienced this, and she couldn't help but use her life to help others experience the same thing. And this is what happens when we belong to Jesus. We experience the rescue of a Savior who, who gave himself away, who sacrificed himself for me, for you, so that we could belong to him. And when we experience that kind of love, it begins to transform us into people who love to give ourselves away uh, for his sake uh, and for those around us in that same way. So let me pray. Uh, let me pray that Jesus would help us to know him more closely today and that in knowing him, we'd be transformed Father, we are grateful for your loving kindness uh, towards us. We're grateful for your sovereignty. We're grateful for the way uh, that you are at, are at work in us and around us, even in ways that we don't understand, even in ways that we don't uh, expect. Uh, thank you that in our weakness, uh, you are strong. 
Thank you that in the midst of our, uh, our lowest moments and our worst days, that you are present at work with your people. Uh, it's hard to believe it. It's hard to trust that sometimes. Uh, uh, we, uh, we have faith. Uh, give us more faith. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us on this podcast, a production of Seven Rivers Villages Church in Wildwood, Florida. Learn more at sevenriversvillages.org.